Hey everyone, in this chapter I sit with Danny Neville. Very raw, very emotional and bold interview. I hope you enjoy it and if you want to see the video version, you can find it on my YouTube channel. Enjoy. Hello Adnan. What's going on? Um, Adnan, first of all, I haven't heard that in ages. How are you really doing? I'm doing as good as I can be. What does that mean? Um, considering everything, I think I'm doing good. Uh, I go through my phases. Um, it's funny because every message I get of people saying, I hope everything is okay and I hope everything's uh, good. And the more messages I get of, uh, I don't want to say people feeling sorry, but that's what I take it as, the worse it is for me. So I'm going through this phase now of I just don't want to hear it anymore. I don't. I just want life to be normal, and I just want to be normal again. But yeah, I think I'm doing as good as I can be for now. Not the greatest. But. What is normal? Um, I was never somebody who was used to uh, people being over affectionate or over emotional. That's normal for me, and I know the world in our society, the, the, the norm of the world is to show extra emotion, extra affection, and extra sorrow. But that's not, that's not my world. Uh, so when I say normal, I want to go back to just, uh, I'm sorry for everything and just keep it moving. I don't want the extra stuff. And I know that's, I think that's wrong from my end to ask people because human nature, this is what we're built to do, is to feel sorry and feel bad. So I know that part of it is me asking for way too much but this is what i want to i want to go back to what's normal for me and i think the the more uh, i face sadness uh, the harder it is that's uh i don't know if that even makes sense but that's where i am now would you would you say that it's not the opposite the more sadness we feel we develop thicker skin and we feel less from other people I don't know if I can get that. I don't, I don't, I don't know if, if other people feel, feeling sad for me gives me that. Maybe if I go through my sadness on my own and on my own terms and my own time, I agree with you. I think that will help. If I go through my breakdowns, uh, if I go through my moments, but I think other people showing me sadness is what's mentally messing with me. And Again, I don't think, I think I'm, I'm the different one. I'm the wrong one. I don't think, uh, you know, I don't want anybody hearing this thinking, well, we're just doing what's right. I understand people and humans and society and, uh, and friends and family, they're doing what's right. But for me, it's just, I don't know how to cope with it. I don't understand it. And it's just, it's creating turmoil in my brain, you know. In funerals in our region, they say there is a wisdom to not being alone because being alone is kind of also like you're self-crashing. Yeah. Being alone can be dangerous sometimes, especially when you're not too stable or you're too emotional, right? Yeah. So they say there is a wisdom to keep really busy the first two, three days. That's why families, all the family, the extended family comes and friends and people are traveling to the funeral and you end up finishing your day so quickly. I've been on those. Yeah. And by the end of it, you're dead. You're really tired because you've been entertaining people and explaining how the person died and over and over again. It's, it's really draining, but it's, you go through it. You, you never sit down and really comprehend yeah. the grief, yeah. the grief that you could feel. So there is, I could see somebody say that it's um, not torture, but it's distracting you from the reality. And after three days when it's kind of sunken a little, now you can sit with yourself yeah. and deal with it. Maybe day one it was bad. So I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. It makes, it, it makes what you're explaining makes sense. I don't think that works for everybody. Correct. No one size fits. Yeah. I, I, personally for me, being the person I am, being somewhat of an introvert, living my whole life alone, um, me and my mom didn't have the best upbringing. Me and my mom were very uh, distant. I had two, I have two older brothers and I had a sick sister that was younger than me. So my mom's attention and my dad left, I was really young. So my mom's attention was always towards, uh, 
the others, you know, and, you know, before my mom passed away, she, she, uh, she said something to me and she was like, I always knew you, you were okay as a kid. Um, she, she reinforced and said the times, the bad times that we had, don't think it was because there was no love or there was no connection. I always knew you were okay. I always understood that Danny is the person that's alone in his room, whether it's playing video games or whatever it is. I always knew not to interfere. So I always knew you were okay. That is who I am as a person. That's how I am wired. My relationship with my mom growing up only enforced that. That for me, it is therapy to be alone with my thoughts. It's not, for me, it's not torture. It's not hell. I do want the energy to think and to dissect and to picture loss or uh, anything that goes wrong in my life. whether if it's I'm fighting with my wife or whoever it is, I am the person that does want to sit there and I do want to live it. Some people say, how could you? You're, you're, you're torturing yourself. You're, you're killing your insides. No, for me, that's my therapy. I dissect everything. I relive conversations and emotions. And sometimes I feel anger. I go through all the emotions again, but that helps me. All the other stuff doesn't help me. All the other stuff drains me more and more and more because I know that being around people and being around all this stuff is just delaying what I'm going to go through sooner or later. So I just want to go through it my own way. So again, it's not what you're saying is not wrong. It is, it does make sense a hundred percent, but I was quick to learn that it doesn't, you know, I've been through a lot in my life and, and I know a lot of people say that, but I've been through a lot that the normal person in my situation doesn't go through. My whole life was uh, a movie, a lie. So I've, I've had moments throughout my life where some crazy shit happens that hits me in the face and I'm like, okay, I get it. Another one of these things. And um, my mom's passing was one of those things, not because she passed, because of everything that I relived, her words, the emotions, my childhood, the wrong, the bad, the ugly, the good. I had to relive and I'm still reliving everything you know, even till now. And I think it's not going to go away. It just, I just learn how, I, I, I think that you just learn how to deal with it. I don't think it's going to go away. My, when my sister passed away, she was young. She was still a baby. So I didn't really, uh, I didn't understand, you know, people used to say this won't go, but I never really had a long relationship with my sister. She passed away at a very young age. So I wasn't prepared. I, I, I didn't know how to deal with it. I think now with my mom, I'm understanding that, okay, this won't get any better. This is just going to stay and you just have to figure it out. You think it doesn't get better? I don't, I, I don't see it. I don't, don't see think it time heals or you, not maybe heals, but you learn how to go about things in life? I think, I think your brain starts, I might be wrong, I don't know, but I think, I think your brain start, starts processing it in a different way. It starts making it more of a memory than reality, if that makes sense. That's how I feel. Uh, it's only been, it's only been like not even two weeks and already my, my, my brain is, is functioning in a way that what a great movie, what a great memory. It's, I'm moving so far away from reality that a week ago I was on the phone with my mom and we were talking and everything was fine. And the next day, unexpected, I'm, I'm moving so far away from that. I'm automatically now thinking of the memories like they were just like a, like a, like a reel and my, like highlights of my life. So I, I definitely don't think that gets easier. I just think your brain just figures out ways to, to make you cope with it. I think, Danny, there is a, a blessing to time sometimes because if we didn't have it, yes, we will feel great about the great moments literally every day like it just happened. Yeah. So they're overjoyed. But imagine the sad. Then imagine you'll feel the shock of bad news yeah. and hurt and sadness fresh and raw every time. Human beings won't cope and they will kill themselves at some stage because 100%. there is time makes you, like it's maybe the wiring changes or you, you yeah. compose yourself different or you forget. People forget. People forget that they lost people. They get busy with life. Yeah. And I do think us human beings, we are very selfish beings and we are survivors. So in order to survive, you need to kind of forget or get busy or focus on other things. And then you archive yeah. maybe the things you don't want to deal with in your subconscious, yeah. you know, maybe. What you're saying probably implies to 
maybe non-family members, but I truly think that uh, if somebody is, that's part of you, it's part of your DNA, you can never forget. It's, it's the way you smell, the way you taste, the way you, you walk and talk. You can never, you know, a mother, a sister, more a mother than anybody really, when they say like your, your, your souls are connected. And two days before my mom passed, uh, she sent me a video and um, something, we, my mom is a very silly person. She's a very sarcastic person. So she, we, we were cracking jokes on, uh, on WhatsApp and uh, I think I went too far with the joke. So I sent her one of my too soon messages and she sent me a video and I, I know she was talking about the joke, but she was so serious in the video and she was like, me and you are one soul. She was like, me and you are one soul. And for some reason, this was two or three days before she passed. And for some reason, it's been coming up a lot. So when you say, sometimes you forget with a mother, you can't. And it's, it is true. She is your soul. You are her soul. So you can't. Every single day I wake up, whether it's a prayer that I say, she taught me the prayer. Whether it's, you know, the way I eat, she taught me how to hold a fork and knife. It's, you can't. It's impossible. And especially in my case, because I, my dad wasn't around. You know, my mom raised me. I was 10 when my dad left. So it's impossible. You cannot. You have to figure out. And like you said, the pain, you have to figure out how to get out of the pain and just cope. And you're, you have to let your brain figure it out. That's the best way I can say it. There's no way you're going to forget. Not even, a, not even 1%. How was your childhood? Tough. Define. Very, very tough. Um, I grew up to, nobody knows this, what, what, what I'm telling you, I might get backlash for, but uh, people would call my father Karim or Abdul Karim when I knew his name was Pierre. And my whole, li- like my whole life was a lie. I would sit and think to myself as a kid, why is everybody calling my dad a name? And I know my, my dad's something else. Uh, I think at the age of, so at the age of nine, he left. I never knew why he left. He told me he had to go to Lebanon and he'll be back in two weeks. And then I found out he left because the Gulf War happened. The first Gulf War happened and he was scared authorities would find him here. So he had to go back to Lebanon and face what was there for him, which was eight counts of, um, a death sentence. So this was 91, 92. After my dad left, he disappeared for three years. Three years later, we, we, we touched base again. And the first conversation I had with him, he said something that started another investigation of my life, which was who my brothers are. I had no idea about a situation between my dad and my mom. And my dad was married to my mom's sister. And that only came out at the age of 14. So my whole life were intervals of just slaps in the face and all by coincidence. Nobody nobody ever sat me down and said, Danny, let's explain to you the history of who we are. So at the age of 14, I find this other bombshell out that my brothers are also my cousins and the story of my mom and you know, when I say my mom has done a lot and, and when people ask me, my mom has done a lot. My mom ran away thinking her husband was gone. No, not her husband. At the time, the father of her sister's children is gone, did the right thing, took the children, ran away. It's just, she's done a lot. Age of 14, I find that out. And then I go through, I think, 10 years of just really if not not purposely torturing myself but i tortured myself to find out the truth i could have just let it go and ask somebody i couldn't find it in me to ask my mom or anybody i just knew there was so much sadness so i had to investigate for 10 years of my life through aunts and uncles and stories and books and old newspapers who we are who my brothers are to me who my mom is what her story is Movies would come out about Lebanon and I would be obsessed. I would watch and start connecting dots between documentaries. Um, at the age of 17, when I left, 
This was before I actually found everything out completely. My mom took me aside and uh, the day before I left, me and my mom were not on good terms, the day before I left to, to America. Um, and she took me aside and she started crying and she said to me, don't ever think that your brothers aren't your brothers. She's like, I know you're a smart person and I know you know a lot. And I know that there's things that I haven't told you, but there's one thing I do want to tell you that don't ever treat your brothers. No, her words were, don't ever treat your brothers differently. She said that to me and I played stupid. And I think that's one regret that I should have maybe had a conversation with her. I played it stupid. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And she broke down and she's like, okay. She gave me that look that, not disappointment, but I know you know, and you're not being honest with me. But she, she told me that word. She said, don't ever treat your brothers differently. This was at the age of 17. And then after that, I went through this whole angry, self-destructive, just not having a smile on my face, being angry to everybody that encountered my presence. Just this, it was just a bad phase of my life until I think 10 years later, 10 or 12 years later, I, I, uh, I had a conversation with my brother who I hadn't spoken to in four years. And I just said, I just need to know everything. And we had, we sat down, we had a meeting and, um, he told me everything he could remember of his childhood. And that's where I, I think by then I was 27 or 28. That's where my, where I feel like my life started, where I was out of a lie until the age of 27. I was just living a, a, a really bad movie, just not knowing anybody around me. And obviously being in high school, listening to kids talk about me and my, my parents, you know, one of my best friends comes and tells me one day, my mom doesn't want me to be at your house because your dad's a killer. Think about you at the age of eight and this eight-year-old telling you, you know, I can't be at your house because your dad's a killer. He kills people. That emotion, that, that doesn't go away. That feeling doesn't, doesn't go away. Throughout high school, throughout, throughout life, people wondering because of families, because of conversations and rumors. And I can't answer and I can't defend because I don't even know. So when I get these things, I just have to take it and I have to bottle it and I have to deal with it. So the childhood, it might have not been abusive and uh, all that stuff, but it was a very mentally hard childhood. I wasn't close to anybody in my household. Um, I kept my distance from everybody. I was too scared to have a relationship with anyone. I just thought everybody was fake and everybody was lying. You described seeing your brother as a meeting. Yeah. You didn't even say I sat with my brother yeah. or I hung out with my brother. Yeah. Which leads me to say, how's your relationship with your siblings? Um, I have unconditional love for them as human beings because they've been, been in my life. They're, they've been there my entire life. So I have unconditional love. I don't believe in inherited love where because somebody is your blood, you have to kill yourself for them. I don't believe in that. I'm with so you. If your question is, do I have loyalty and yes, I have loyalty. Do I have this feeling of I would die for my brothers? Absolutely not. I wouldn't even lose a job for my brothers. And that might sound extremely horrible, but, but honest. I, I, I really wouldn't, I wouldn't lie to myself. I wouldn't lose a deal for my brothers. I love them to death. I really do. Wherever I can help, I will help. But the second it starts affecting my well-being, I won't do it, which, which really sucks because I would do it for people who are not inherited, who are people that, that I, I chose to be brothers with and I, I chose to be friends with. Again, I, I just never had that connection, whether it be because they were older than me, whether it be because, you know, maybe our parents set us up the wrong way. I don't know. Even till now, like even after my mom passed, I thought I'd, I'm actually, I, I, you know, I'm going through a, a bit of a, um, an emotional transformation and I, and I want to take my time and I, I don't want to, I don't want to assume and I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but I'm feeling a bit closer to my eldest brother. And he was the one that I was 
the, the one that I said I had a meeting with him. He was the one that I had a formal relationship with. The, the, the meeting or the conversation I had with him also explained to me a lot about why he did certain, certain things that he did, why he raised a hand on me, why he was abusive when I was a kid, what gave you the right to hit me or to beat me up blindly, not like a brother would slap another brother. He would proper, like, blindly beat the shit out of me. So all these things, I'm not saying it's right, but it explained a lot of what, why he did what he did. After my mom passed, I, I, I think, I don't want to rush, but I think I'm feeling a bit closer to him than ever. And I'm actually moving further away from my other brother that I was closer to as a child because he was the one that spoiled me all the time and let me do certain things that, that I shouldn't do. He was the, the cool brother. But why would you gravitate to the tough one in this circumstance? Um, you know, when I told you, like I'm, I'm the type of person that when I go through stuff, I have to sit and analyze and relive. I relived a lot from them too. I re relived a lot of good and bad from uh, both Bernard and Alain and my eldest and my other brother. And a lot of it re-explained itself to me that he didn't beat you up because he hated you. He beat you up because there was no control in the family. He was with a single mother that wasn't really his mother, with a sick sister. Dad was nowhere to be found. We were going through financial struggle. I need to take control of the situation. So it, it re the, me thinking of the past re-explained itself to me and why. And the other end of it is that my other brother, yes, was the cool kid, yada, 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 all that stuff. But when it came down to it, he never did the right thing. And I'm sorry to say this. He never did the right thing because he was always the cool kid that just wants to do random shit. He was never the serious one that said, this is how we're supposed to be in the family. He never took responsibility. Whereas the, my eldest brother took, he might have taken too much responsibility, but I was able to redefine and, and look at things from a different perspective, which is why I think I feel a bit closer. How, how um, going back to you not finishing, you mentioned you didn't finish school and you got into music, Danny. Yeah. And as an Arab, not finishing school is a taboo. Music is kind of taboo, not always, sometimes. Yeah. It's looked down on. Yeah. Especially how, in the 90s. How, how do you get away with doing those two? Not finishing school and actually choosing music. How do I get away with it from, in whose perspective? In my family or society yeah, or? Both. Yeah, it's not easy to, to go that route unless nobody even cares what you do or they care, but you ignore. Yeah. It's not easy. I, I don't think I cared enough. The simplest way I can put it is that I don't think I really cared enough to listen to anybody. If my mom had said no, I was going to do it. If society said no, which they did, I was going to do it. If the UAE said no, which they did, I was going to do it. I don't think I cared enough about anybody's opinion. Mm -hmm. It was my happiness. It was my go-to. It was the only thing that kept me sane. Music and, and creation saved my life. And it's such a cliche thing to say. It really is. But it really saved my life time after time after time. Every time things got hard, I locked myself in the room as a kid, whether it was listen to music or draw or whatever it is, creation and, and arts has been my savior. So leaving school wasn't hard for me. The, the, the situation that happened in was hard. My mom went broke and said, I have 40,000 dirhams left in the bank account and your school fee is 27,000 dirhams. I was in Shreifat. She's like, I will go broke and you're not doing well. What do you want to do with your life? This was the conversation. I was 15 years old <laughs> and I was just like, I want to do music and being an Arab mom, you know, I don't know how she found it in herself to be like, okay, <laughs> let me, let me gamble on you. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Let's go to the bank. Mm. And we actually went to the bank <laughs> and uh, yeah, she supported me. And uh, that's how it happened. I dropped out of school. Um, this was after I had come back from a situation I had with my mom and I ran away from home. That's how I actually left school to begin with. That's how I left uh -huh. Shreifat. So in grade nine, I ran away from the house and I, I, I ran away and I went to Lebanon. I was in grade nine. So I skipped the last three months of school 
And when I came back, a shwefat wouldn't allow me back in, although I've been there my whole life. I think they had a grudge on my dad or something. They're like, oh, this guy's gone. <laughs> so they wouldn't allow me back in school. And that's where the whole thing started, where I tried for the next year, grade 10, and it was just a flop. And that's where my mom was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm bust. Mm. And uh, the conversation happened. I told her I wanted to learn the foundation of music. Uh, the only place I could go back then was America. So she sent me to America. Uh, and she spent 42,000 dirhams exactly on the dot. And I promised her I'd pay her every penny back and some. Mm. And I did. So she's the main part of what you are today. Yep, yep. She is, she, she plays every role, not a role. She plays every, every single role, whether good or bad. The bads pushed me to do good and the good pushed me to do good. You voice your opinion a lot, especially when you're frustrated. I need to shut my mouth. <laughs> I know. No, it's not uh, right or wrong. I'm saying when Danny doesn't like something, yeah. he voices it out, whether it's on an Insta story or maybe yeah. in a conversation. Yeah. Do you think you're impulsive? Do you think you're irritable? Do you think you're angry? Why, why are you voicing it? Why are you irritated? I think I'm frustrated. I why? think it's frustration. In my head, which is one of the worst traits I have, I assume everybody gets it. And that has been my worst enemy my entire life. I just assume, even if I have an argument with my wife, one of the me and my wife are like best friends. Every argument I can ever think back to is because I assume she gets it. I shouldn't. I shouldn't assume that everybody gets what I get and vice versa. And I think it's frustration. I think I'm, I'm yes, I'm impulsive. And, the, and it's not that I'm emotional or angry or no, I'm just frustrated. Don't you get it? This is the way it's supposed to be. That's wrong because I don't get everything. Some things that you do that I don't like and... We've had our issues. And if you've sat down and you've had the time to explain it to me, then I should do the same. So I know it's the wrong thing to do, but it's frustration. It's again, how I'm wired because growing up, I didn't have people to have a conversation with or reason with. Mm. Interesting. That's how I'm wired. As a kid, I would just, bleh, <laughs> just say it. And going through the angry phase of my life, it got really bad to a point where I'd get physical. So, yeah, because you mentioned you were the bully in school. I wasn't the bully. You were bullying people? I was, people would bully me. And then when I grew up, I became the tough guy. And I started taking that anger out of being bullied in school on other people because I became the big guy. So I started looking for fights. Mm. So bully? No, I'm not intentionally bullying somebody because they're a weaker person. But you want but to I vent. I would, I would, I wouldn't like... An example where there's a situation where I can calm the fight down. No, I would add fuel to the fire because I wanted to take it out. Not because that person, that person might have been an asshole and I could have avoided the situation and left. But because my, my childhood was being not only physically bullied, but mentally bullied my entire life, I was told that I wasn't good enough by certain people or society would like make me feel like I wasn't the cool kid because of what we said, my dad or my mom. That whole feeling my entire life, when I grew to be the bigger person and the person who had no fear and didn't really care, I would add fuel to situations to get that anger out and be like, you're not going to be able to take control of me being sad. You're not going to be able to make me feel weak. And that, that was a very long stage. And that, that worked in parallel with me trying to figure out who my family was, which this added fuel to this. And it was just, I don't even know how I came out of this. I don't even know how, like I look back at it and I think to myself, I thank God or whoever was up there that I actually came out of that mess. It might have not been drugs or whatever, but it was just a mess. So yeah, I wasn't a bully, but yeah, I instigated a lot, a lot. And then that carried on to my professional life. I was the one who always fought with the promoters and this DJ wasn't being treated well, I'm going to go pick a fight. Why am I going to go pick a fight? But I was quick to instigate. You, still, you think you still do some of that? No. I stand for, I stand for what is right. 
Yes. I voice my opinion to protect the industry and to protect fellow DJs and fellow musicians. Yes. Am I aggressive about it? No. If people see it aggressive, I apologize, but I never intend to be aggressive. The words I choose on social media are always positivity, love, and I try and in a way educate for somebody who doesn't know anything about the scene that's reading. I try and educate and say, this is why I'm saying this. Whereas before, no, before the attitude was, I'm gonna fuck you up for no reason. Self-destructive for no reason. People would be like, you're gonna lose everything you have in the industry. People won't ever work with you again. I don't care. I don't give a shit. I don't ever want to work with anybody. I don't care. I don't have that anymore. That's long, long, long gone. Hmm. And again, I had to learn that. Nobody sat me down and said, I had to figure that out the hard way. I had to hit rock bottom so many times to figure that out. You've been depressed? Three times. Majorly depressed. Majorly depressed. Like, why the hell am I here? Three, three major times in my life. And all to do with the, the, the story of who we are versus the story of why am I not being accepted? Who, who my family is, our situation versus why am I not accepted in society, in the industry, in whatever it is. It was never because I got heartbroken by a girl or I had no money. N never any of these stories. It was always to do with these two things. And how do you, uh, this is always interesting for me to hear, because I think um, when people look at this or watch it and they're there, they're in one of those pits. Yeah. They're, one, they're trying to look for a, a string yeah. to latch onto. And I'm sure this string looks different in any story. But how did you, you know, Adnan, how did Adnan leave this depression? Yeah. Is it the same in each one or... You had to do something or wait it out or... Yeah. This is going to sound very uh, silly, but uh, I always saw myself as a superstar. <laughs> as a kid, like I always envisioned stages and me being like a singer or a rapper. Like I always, every kid has a dream like that. And I, I had that, like I always envisioned myself to be a superstar, an entertainer. That played a massive role and making me feel like I have a duty to still entertain and to show up to that club that I had to play that week or that day, which is down the road and probably had 10 people. <laughs> but funny enough, that played a huge role mentally for me to be like, I'm still needed. I'm still wanted. I still have to go play music at Zinc for Cabin Crew. <laughs> that was, I think, what the major part of what got me through depression. It wasn't funny. I didn't, I didn't think that of my family. I didn't think my mom needed me. I didn't think my brothers needed me. I didn't think my friends needed me. I thought complete strangers that I have no obligation to and they don't owe me. I, that is what I used to think, that they, I need to go entertain them. I have a responsibility to go entertain them. How stupid and trivial, but that's what really worked. Time after time, that was the only thing. Even now, if I get sick and my wife will be like, don't show up to a festival or don't, I'll be like, no, it's my responsibility. I'm going to go, I'm going to show up because I feel that emotion of me being a kid, being a superstar, and now I'm on stages. I'm not a superstar, but I'm, I'm on stages doing this, controlling people's emotions and being able to do this. I will never take that for granted, never. So I think... The, the best way I can say is that if, if you find your purpose from within, it could be as, as small and as trivial and as stupid as possible, but just find that one thing that you're here for, whatever it is. I have to, I have to, I have to say happy birthday to a best friend next week and I need to be here. That, that alone will get your mind away from a lot. Just thinking next week I have an obligation. How would that person feel if I didn't show up to their birthday? You, you can't imagine when you're in a state of depression and in a state of the worst, you can't imagine how much light that gives you. Something so stupid. Very interesting. What is your mother to you? What is she? Hmm. Um, I 
she's, she's definitely my teacher in very many, very, very ways that she doesn't know. Every mistake my mom did was a huge lesson for me in life. Um, every good thing she did was a huge, huge lesson for me in life. So I would say she was, she was more my teacher than my caretaker. Um, I'm not taking away from her taking care of me. She did what she can to, to take care of me as a son. But we were missing a lot. We were missing um, an emotional attachment as a kid. I never had the feeling of uh, I can run to her and cry or, or complain or even ask for advice. Every lesson I learned was from me witnessing something wrong or something right from her or from a situation that she was in. It was never a situation of me asking. As an adult, I try to, uh, I think I try to make up for that. And I try to, to create some sort of a connection by sometimes not needing her advice and calling her and asking for advice just to try. Hmm. Um, I don't think it ever worked until, until she got sick. And, uh, I think when she got sick and she, she mentally started preparing herself that God forbid something happens. She wanted to clear her conscience from a lot of things. And I think it was only then that I, I naturally reconnected and established a mother-son relationship with my mom, which was July of 2019. Wow. Up until then, it was a, it was a, it was a relationship that has ups and downs like anybody else, but there was no, I almost feel bad saying this, but there was no natural caretaker protector. Although I knew in her heart she wanted to protect and I knew in her heart she, she would do anything for me and for my brothers and for everybody. But I just never felt, naturally felt that until she got sick. And uh, in July of 2019, the first trip I took back to Lebanon, when they told me your mom has 48 hours to live, that initially that was the conversation I had. They called me and said she's got 48 hours to live. And thank God, like, you know, we got through that phase. And the last six months have been, if my mom fought, she fought six months to make everything okay with me. Mm. And the, 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 you know, in the beginning of the interview, you said, how do I really, really feel? I, I am so thankful. And the, the, the biggest, the biggest blessing for me now to get through this is that I know she passed away with a very clear conscience. She cleared everything, everything that was in her heart, everything that was weighing, weighing her down. She spoke to me about situations that she didn't really have to. She brought them up and spoke to me about them. And I think she knew that that was her last attempt at creating this connection, this mother, son, natural connection with me. Mm. It worked. It worked. So yeah, she's above all my teacher. What is Saf to you? Saf is my, my caretaker, my bodyguard, my, uh, you know, in cartoons, you have the, the good angel, the bad angel. She's the good angel. That's like sorting off all the bad angels. Or Who's the, the bad one? <laughs> so many. Okay. So many. She's my soulmate. She's my best friend. She, she also saved my life in 2011. Um, yeah, Saf is, Saf is everything. And more importantly, my mom liked her. <laughs> my mom never liked any of my girlfriends. <laughs> she, was, she always found something. She's too blonde. She's too this. She's too that. So the fact that my mom saw a daughter in Saf um, was 
a very big thing for me. Hmm. Yeah, you guys make a good couple. I think. I see her as a gift for you. She is. Yeah, and you deserve that gift. She is. We, I, I keep telling her that, I say this a lot to her, I, I keep saying that if I know I've done something good in my life, this has been my reward. Whatever I did, I know I did something good because she has definitely been my reward. And my mom just, my mom actually never called her my daughter up until August. Mm. And I, she kept repeating and telling Saf, time after time, don't ever forget you're my daughter. And she kept telling me, she's my daughter. No matter what, she's my daughter. Yeah, that's Saf. She's also a great cook. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> what are you... Cookies are to die for. <laughs> they are. What are you afraid of? Uh, I was afraid of death up until December 25th. No longer. What am I afraid of? Um, I'm afraid of not being able to protect certain people in my life. I'm afraid that something happens to me and people's life that I really, really love and live for become, becomes harder. That is my biggest fear. Uh, I want to know that, God forbid, something happens to me. The people that I've uh, taken an oath between me and myself to keep comfortable and happy, not just financially, I mean in every way, emotionally and everything. I just want them to be okay. My biggest fear is that I go too soon. And that affects certain people's lives. Um, regrets, you mentioned one, when your mother uh, told you about your brothers. Yeah. Any other regrets? I don't, I used to believe a lot in regrets. I don't do that anymore. I think everything that's, that's ever happened has uh, made me a better person, has contributed to something good in my life. Even that, when I say regret, I don't really mean, I don't mean it that, like in such a harsh way as a regret. I think it's just, would have been smart to just talk about it. Mm. Definitely not a regret because everything that came after that, had that not happened, it wouldn't have happened. So do I have any regrets? No, I've made some fucked up decisions in my life. Yes. Do I forgive myself for them? A hundred percent. Do I wish I did certain things differently? Of course. Do I regret? No, I don't regret. Not at all. Best moment in your life? Best moment in my life is... Um, Career-wise or personally? There's a few good moments. Emotionally is... The day my mom came clean about everything in our family, everything. She sat up, she was, she was in the hospital and me and Saf were, were sitting down on the couch. This was in August and I was on my phone and my mom was like in and out of just going to bed and she randomly just sat up and she's like, okay, I need to speak to you. <laughs> and I was just like, uh, okay. And she's like, you can't be angry. You can't be upset. And I have to tell you something. And I was like, Okay, and she just, everything I've ever thought or not been sure about, everything from our, from our family, who we are, to what we own, to what we are, to where we came from, everything she just told me everything. And it, 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 the happiness wasn't because I found out, the happiness was watching her smile getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The more she told me, the more you felt like, whew, like she was just, I need to get this out because it's on you. Deal with it. I'm done. <laughs> I think that was emotionally the best moment. Like, and at the end of it, she just kind of looked at me and she gave me that, are we angry? What's happening here? And I was like, why would I be angry? Like why there's not, she, she's like, I'm just making sure. Is everything okay? And I was like, it's perfectly fine. Hmm. But I think that was emotionally the biggest release in my life. Yeah, for both of you. Yeah. For me knowing and more for her being able to go, had she not done that, I wouldn't be as okay as I am 
now sitting here having a conversation. There's no way I'd be this okay had that not happened. But I know she, she went smiling and laughing and being the sarcastic woman she is and just like no worry in the world. But it's sad it took 38 years, 40 years for her. It's really sad. But yeah, I would say that was emotionally the, the best moment. Worst moment of your life? Um, not going to spend Christmas with my mom. Last Christmas? Yeah. I had told, uh, I had told my wife on, uh, I think it was on Saturday. Uh, I told her something in me saying, I have to go spend Christmas with my mom. And I went against my gut. That was the worst decision and the, the worst feeling. She passed away Christmas morning. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what to say. Because... I'm also a believer of it is what it is. Danny made a decision against his gut. Maybe usually don't. And I assume you don't. But you did, and maybe that's what you should have done, which is not go. I'm going to stand on the other side of the fence and say, it's your journey with your mother. And maybe this feeling that's now eating at you Adnan is, is what you actually need for the next phase. It's hard to look at it like that. When, when, when everything in you tells you, you never go against your gut. What the hell happened? That one time, what the hell happened? It's hard. But you're right. Maybe that's the crash. Maybe, that's the crash maybe you need to feel that burn. Yeah. You know, maybe this burn brings up a lot of good things. You know, today, Saf, before I came here, and I've been thinking about this the whole time, the whole drive here, um, Saf played a podcast for me, which it's incredible that we just had this combo. Um, something down the lines of the, the bigger the crash, the bigger the, the, the burn in life the longer the path to happiness is. Like the harder you crash in life, the more happiness and the more joy and success you find for the people who haven't tasted the worst of it all. There's nothing on the other side. Correct. You know, uh, it has happened before, but not to this extent. This one, I pray to God, is the biggest. And I pray to God it translates to the best. But for now, I can't, uh, I'm not in the state of mind or even in that space to think other than how fucking stupid. You never go against your gut feeling and you, you messed up on that one. I doubt you will again. Maybe that's what, maybe somebody, look, I'm, I'm always the half full. Yeah. Part of the glass. And maybe this burn will make you sh for sure not even allow any fucking doubt of not trusting yeah. your gut yeah. when somebody maybe will need you more than ever, yeah. more than your mother, more than God knows. And that's where that gut feeling will probably save that other person through you. It'll, 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 always, it'll always come back up. Hmm? Every decision I ever make, you're, you're 100% right, every decision I ever make, you will not want that feeling again. Yeah, it'll be a reminder. Okay, let's narrow it down. You remember how your mother looks? Yeah, of course. <laughs> so, if she's here, which I hope she is. 100% she is. And she's hearing you. What would you tell her? What would I tell her? 
uh, tell her to keep being funny. And, <laughs> and uh, I'll tell her thank you. I'll tell her thank you for, um, for making me, for um, staying alive for all these years. There's a lot of times where my mom could have easily given up. So I think her being around and alive and breathing for all these years, I want to thank her for that. She, she told my cousin who was with her on Monday, she said to her, uh, everything's good now. Out of the blue, she said, everything's good. Danny and his brothers, are, they're good. They're talking. Uh, I've explained to Danny everything about what he needs to do. Um, and I don't hold anything in my heart anymore because for the longest time, although my parents were separated, she held a lot of anger towards my father. These are the three, three things she said to my cousin on Monday. She said, I don't hold anything anymore towards my dad. And she said, Danny and his brothers are good. And I've let everything out and I've told Danny everything he needs to know. And he knows what to do moving forward. So, yeah, I just want to thank her. Just a thank you. Last one. <laughs> Adnan in one word. Man. Adnan in one word. Resilient? <laughs> 